I'm Kevin Jones. And I'm Chris Moore. And we've started the homos on Haunted Hill so that we can throw a party. A horror film party. <laughs> It'll be quite amusing. There'll be madmen and chainsaws and ghosts and perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. So we're back in uh, Stephen King world. Did we ever really leave? No, we're trapped. We are <laughs> trapped in the sewer with Pennywise. He's tormenting us. We can't get out. But, you know, Stephen King's a very deep person. So I'm going to ask another very deep question this time. Do you remember the first time you heard about and understood what death was, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, actually. You don't? <laughs> I mean, do any of us really grasp what death really is? anyway but it's it's very conf it's confounding yeah i mean i remember losing a pet as a kid but even then i feel like i didn't really grasp death as a concept right mm. yeah yeah it's usually that pet that's usually the first one for most people yeah and it it is kind of weird it's, it's but death is always weird no matter how old old you are it's hard to get used to the fact that someone's here one day and the next day they're gone. Right. And they'll never come back. Like, that's just weird because it's so it final. It's strange. It leaves this, like, hole in you that, like, you fill with other things, but the hole is always there. That's how I picture yeah. it anyway. It's like yeah. You never really get over it. You just kind of no. get better at, like, not making it a huge part of your day-to-day -day life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Ugh. This movie, it just makes you think. It really it does. It does. Uh, it's heavy. While being really goofy and campy at times. Yeah. I, it's 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 odd how I've responded to this movie over, over the years. Because as a kid, it was probably the most terrifying thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. Mm. And it's it, certain parts of it stayed that way but re-watching it last night i was like this does have a lot of camp like it, it is kind of silly at times it does i mean the scenes with um uh what's the dead guy's name the uh pa pa pascal pascal can i never remember that or, or Pascal, as e yeah. ellie says ellie always talks <laughs> yes. like that daddy some of the scenes with him are so silly like where he's uh helping her get a car rental car and it's oh just like I, I think i think that one's available and she's like oh that one is available <laughs> this is so goofy. yeah like as i was watching that last night i was like does this character need to be here not really like, really like he doesn't do much there's some like, extraneous things in this movie definitely i mean a, a few of the flashbacks yeah. i'm like i mean i get why they're there but like i think we did we need this i don't know like could, could, yeah, could they have just like said it do we need to see the whole thing it's kind of odd like when stephen king adapts his own work like yeah. i i tend to think those are sometimes the weaker adaptations yeah. there's that whole character of the housekeeper that kills her herself who has no point in the film no um whereas in the novel the person that died first was actually judd's wife and i right. remember that being really moving i'm like why didn't you just keep that mm -hmm. like just I, I don't understand why they just why he was like we don't need the wife but we'll have this random housekeeper who has like three lines and then yeah like i don't get it odd choice and i get why the zelda stuff is there but it does feel a little like i don't know 
off to the side to me it it, it doesn't feel as not, i just remember the book it feeling more ingrained in the plot than right it does in this but she still freaks me out i don't like to watch those scenes there's just something about that whole it's like the way it's shot and it just it's weird it makes I mean, me feel really icky I'm it's like, a man in drag too so there's that there's just <laughs> a, you know a lot of weirdness to it it's really it's, scary yeah. it scares the shit out of me but um i do miss the kind of i don't know 80s goofiness of just in horror movies in general especially compared to the remake which i did not like at all really i mean there were maybe some elements that were okay but it was just so flat and mean and serious and i'm just like the part of the fun is the uh folksy goofiness that stephen king puts in here intentionally um yeah i i still don't feel like there's been an an adaptation of this that's really hit every mark no um like i think this one obviously does the whole zelda zelda thing a gazillion times better than the remake but like there there's i felt like the remake took itself so seriously it like did. the the actor playing lewis um jason clark he was so fucking serious the entire time whereas in this one um he's probably too goofy most of the time and there's not really a balance i just i i've never felt like anyone kind of got that part right but i i just don't know it it yeah the remake was kind of a big missed opportunity oppor- they were like let's just change the kid that dies in the middle of the movie that's enough and that's really all they did yeah they streamlined a couple things like yeah. they, they cut off some of this uh exposition but it it i don't know yeah it wasn't enough it still felt yeah flat and mean um in a way that it didn't need to i guess like the the, the story is mean enough and yet it felt like right. it was making it even more cruel and i'm like do i need this not really I, maybe not. in 20 30 years they'll remake it again and probably maybe this time they'll g- g- get it right i don't know there are so <laughs> many stephen king uh, books that you could be making movies of and yeah they just keep doing the same yeah. five like it's like right can can we do something else come on yeah although i will say i think this is his scariest book the book was sure. really fucking scary. I think yeah. just the story itself, it comes through even in the films. It's just a very dark, uncomfortable, tragic story. Yeah. And it it's uh, there's just something that very icky about it that just makes me want to go take a shower afterwards. It is. And you, you never really know, you know, what this dark force is that's causing all these things to happen. Uh and there's this human tragedy nature of everything and parents not really watching their kids enough and then trying to yeah. fuck with these forces that they don't really understand. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot going on and a lot of uh, childhood trauma with like the mom stuff that happened with her. And yeah. Yeah. He even said he got really scared when he wrote the book and he, he wasn't really sure if he would release it or not because he was so uncomfortable Mm-hmm. And he had never really felt that way about a st- story before, and yeah, so it's it's ugh, it's definitely dark. This and it, I think, are probably the two that get to me the yeah, most. A- absolutely, um, definitely taps into that like childhood fear of. I mean, I think as a kid, anytime you see a child protagonist, it, mm-hmm. it, it taps into something. A child's play was the same way with me. 
Uh, it was yeah. like, oh, there's a kid in danger, and that's just like me, and I could be in danger. Ah, exactly. Uh, so there, there's something to that too. Yeah, I, I, I think most people aren't willing to even go to these places um, anymore. It's, uh, which is what it is. But um, yeah, because it's it's just so dark. It's such yeah. a dark place. Uh, what's going on in the world lately? Well, there's Megan. There is Megan. Hearts and box office num <laughs> numbers everywhere. <laughs> Oh, our dear Megan. Buying that new convertible with the money that she's uh, <laughs> she really bringing is. in. The Megan Mobile. <laughs> this is honk, honk. Get, get in, loser. We're going to go kill. <laughs> I mean, this does have some serious franchise potential. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think they've already greenlit the sequel from what I've heard. Oh, yeah. As they should. As they should. I mean, there's there's a lot you can do with this. Um, yes. It just, I mean, it was just fun, you know. It was, it was it a fun was. movie. Uh, the first half, I was a little like zoning out, but by the end of it, I was like, "Yes, yes, Megan, you, you do that." <laughs> when they first introduce her, it's kind of like, "Okay, she's just this kind of boring doll," and uh, that was kind of my problem with the. Well, I had multiple issues with the, the Child's Play remake, but just that that doll had no personality. Like maybe by the end, a little bit, but it was just yeah. kind of this robotic soulless thing whereas this i feel like by the end of it uh i mean i i mean i don't want to spoil too much uh for people who haven't seen it but uh there's this great scene where she's just like sitting there in the dark uh playing um toy soldiers toy soldiers um from the 80s <laughs> it's so good oh uh, right yeah on the piano yeah and just some of the little bits of dialogue like toward the end in the final confrontation where she says things like uh do you really think you're going to turn me off? Like we're way beyond that. Like you don't even understand this <laughs> software that you put inside of me, girl. And it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, she kind of does become like a little, like Rebecca de, de Mornay hand. Oh yeah. Hand that rocks the cradle yeah. towards the end there. And I was like, yeah. okay, yeah. I'm into this. I, I think it. that is what people are responding to. I, it's yeah. just, um, cause I, when I saw that it had like a 98% of rotten tomatoes, I'm like, Oh, is this going to be some like heady, satirical self-aware you know, social commentary thing and not really like there's a little bit of that in here especially with like the fact that they've uh created this um robotic doll with ai to raise a child essentially so that the parent doesn't have to <laughs> which is you know exactly. fun. Uh, what could go wrong yeah what could go wrong with that um <laughs> apparently a shit ton the, yeah i mean so th there's a little bit of commentary there but even akella cooper has been like yeah i just wanted to make a fun horror movie which i respect you know someone finally yeah, is coming out and be like for that yeah yeah she's she's like you know there's been so much of this quote-unquote elevated horror that i just wanted to make something fun and goofy that people would enjoy and i think yeah. people are responding to that even the critics mm -hmm. I, I think we have just seen so many of the uh slow burn uh, again i hate the term elevated horror but just the socially right. conscious stuff over the past mm -hmm. several years that's People just wanted something kind of fun and goofy, and um, yeah, that's what it gave us, you know. Absolutely, I mean, my audience that I saw it with was eating it up. Yeah. I thought there's something here, something has clicked. People are responding to this, yeah, and uh, yeah. she's going to keep on tormenting us for years to come. I believe. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's it's uh, the franchise potential galore, and yeah, it's. It's like, I don't know how you kill this thing because you've created this sort of AI thing that exists in the internet, essentially, or can be up uploaded to other places. And it's like, this yeah. thing could go on forever, you know? It's, it's, oh, uh, no. And it, oh. yeah, it, it, it does tap into this 
fear that I think a lot of people are having lately with um, it's like all of a sudden you're seeing all this AI stuff popping up. You got all these mm-hmm. AI images that can be created and you have this uh, chat GBT thing. Have you heard about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah where you can just like ask it anything and it'll like write papers for you and uh, do anything. Crazy. So there's I think there is this fear just in the society right now of like where this technology is going to go. Just like there always is when something new is introduced, like the Internet or cars or, mm-hmm. you know, cell phones. And um, yeah. uh, so I think it was kind of smart to tap into that. Um, James Wan always has his finger on like where horror is i feel like um yeah somehow he just always knows he gets it um yeah i don't know how uh you know when he when he when he made saw i think he he had a sense of like okay this is where horror is going it's gonna be a lot of body horror it's gonna be a lot of like Mm -hmm. torture type stuff and um that ended up being where it went and then in the 2010s i think he had a sense okay we want to go back to more of the old uh supernatural horror ghost type stuff and um mm-hmm. I, that was very successful with all those conjuring movies which i don't love but they're out there and uh and then now i think he's like okay uh people want some goofery and they want some stuff about ai and technology and <laughs> yeah. there we go like i'll give the people what they want yeah yeah um it's, it's exciting and even the uh pg-13 thing didn't really bug me i thought they handled that stuff pretty well yeah interested to see what the quote-unquote unrated cut um looks like that they've been talking about but uh yeah it didn't bug me really no Um, this is a great sort of gateway horror movie for kids i think i think a lot of kids are gonna love this movie yeah i think so in in a way that like uh i think child's play was a gateway for some of us i mean it it was dark but like it was it's the movie that i remember connecting to a lot because again it had a kid protagonist and it was about dolls and you know yeah. uh things that you play with every day and um yeah i think uh, part two i hope is just bigger and better and faster and i, I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of potential here uh just to go crazy and uh um, i'm hoping for more musical numbers personally I yeah think that would be nice yeah, yeah that'd be that would be wonderful <laughs> With her AI, <laughs> God, some of the songs, singing yeah. voice, <laughs> people just fucking which lost honestly, it in the movie theater. Which... Like, doesn't sound that different from most pop stars today. So that probably yeah. tells you a lot about what goes on behind the scenes with all the auto tune and shit. You know, that's the other scary thing about AI too is that you can create voices essentially and mm-hmm. uh, copy other people's voices and things like that too. And it's like, are we going to get to the point where like you just don't need people anymore? You can just create I these, know. you know voices and it's it's just such a weird time where everything i just don't know where this technology is gonna go and hmm. i don't know i'm very scared maybe megan will just make a bunch of deep fakes of people killing people and getting them into trouble and maybe i should save that for part part five yeah (laughs) part five idea (laughs) and she has this really cool voice changer that makes her sound like everybody in the world Like, Megan sounds an awful lot like Cotton Weary, but he's been dead for years. And she did that a couple times in the movie where she would change she her did. voice to sound like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, uh, maybe we need like an a- AI ghost face. Maybe. I, I mean, I hope ghost face is just fun. Megan really in part six <laughs> just takes off and it's Megan. Surprise. It's me, Megan. <laughs> Beloved Megan. Yeah. I was really p- pissed off that y'all made more money at the box office. So I was like, I'll show you. <laughs> it's a commentary about uh <laughs> i don't even know <laughs> yeah what if part 
seven just takes place in the real world with like the actors from scream and they're being killed by megan megan yeah it's like pissed off she's like there's only room for one iconic franchise in this decade (laughs) you had your moment now it's my turn it's a commentary on franchise wars and how (laughs) everyone's trying to one-up each other in this cruel society we live in (laughs) oh i would see it but you know i'm sure y'all know by this point i'll probably watch just about anything so right right I don't have standards. <laughs> no. Standards? Who needs them? <laughs> what are those? <laughs> it's Friday the 13th as we're recording this. Um, Ooh, beware of black cats and ladders and mm-hmm. and whiskers on kittens or and... <laughs> whatever you're supposed to be scared of. I don't know. Men with machetes and hockey yes. masks. Women in cable knit sweaters with masculine <laughs> hairstyles. <laughs> all, all, although that Crystal Lake show, I think, has some potential. Oh yeah, I don't know if we talked about that. That that could I be don't interesting. Know if we have. Yeah, yeah, could I mean, be interesting. Just the idea of like exploring the backstory of Pamela and her son, and like what they went through together, and what led to this moment in time where she snaps. I'd love to see that. The trauma. Yeah, yeah a lot of tr- trauma, which is mm-hmm. you know popular now. Yeah, but th- then again, like hasn't horror always been about trauma? We just I mean, yeah. are now talking about it. Yeah. But it's like the killers in these movies are usually that way because they had some traumatizing event in their childhood and now they're right. lashing out. It's always been there. I, I, that's That's been the whole thing, you know, with the whole social yeah. commentary age that we live in. And it, it, it's not yeah. that horror from the past didn't have all these messages. It's just they didn't beat you over the head with them and you, they no. didn't feel the need to, like, come out and say in interviews, this is what this movie is about. It's about blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, they just yeah. expected that audiences were smart <laughs> enough to figure that out on their own. <laughs> Just in case you didn't know, uh, it's about trauma. Right, right. yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, that everyone should just say everything in their life is about trauma. Just explain everything as, well, mm-hmm. it, it's because of my trauma. Right. Just my tra- trauma. It's like, why did you cut me off in traffic? Uh, oh, trauma. God. Trauma. I saw some posts during Christmas. It was about how um, Ebenezer Scrooge is actually not the bad guy of the story because he had all this trauma in his store, in his back, uh, in his life, and uh, he was dumped on Christmas. And I'm like, yeah, but he was dumped because he was an asshole who valued money like over people. <laughs> but like he was showing signs of changing, and she didn't like that. And I was like, I don't mm-hmm. want to be with you. Like she mm-hmm. was perfectly in the right. It's like yep. I don't want to spend my life with you. And he had to pay yep. the price. And then he did. He did learn later on. It was a bad mistake, yeah. but he brought that on himself. Yes. Yes. It's about the choices we make. That exactly. The you can't blame everything on your childhood trauma. I'm sorry. No. Like, we, we all have it. I get it. Yeah. But, like, at some point, you know, you have to take responsibility for some of the choices you make in your life. Yeah. There we go. Effie, we all got pain. Effie, okay? exactly. I mean, there's just no point in trying to be like my pain is better than yours mm-hmm. any trauma you have i have greater it's like yeah. oh, please don't do that like stop <laughs> it's like a contest it's like what the hell like what are we gonna what are we going to win with this right. trauma co- contest like right. you get three years of free therapy if mm-hmm. if that was true i would join in a heartbeat that sounds <laughs> yeah, lovely sounds but great. no one tells you the prizes God, wouldn't that be great if just like everybody got like three years of free therapy it was part of like just the healthcare plan that doesn't really exist anyway, but like it, it'll be lovely. It's like they handed out like golden tickets and yeah. Willy Wonka. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, you get three free years of therapy because you've got the golden t- ticket. If only. Ugh. Oh, they should do that. It'd be more likely to be like, here's like a gun for you. Every 10th person gets a gun. <laughs> and I'm like, God, Jesus fucking Christ. What has happened? Only shoot the people you really, really hate. Ugh, okay? God. Use it wisely. It's called trigger therapy. I'm like, oh, <laughs> God. I hate it. I hate the United States. I hate it. <laughs> Makes me want to bury myself in a pet cemetery. I do. I do want to be buried <laughs> in a pet cemetery. I mean, a Ramones theme song. That's exciting. Yeah. I mean, it just kind of hits you in the face <laughs> during the credits, but it's it's, it it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's the. But anyway, yeah. Megan's out there, like we said, and um, uh, haven't watched Sick yet. It just dropped today, so that's out there too. Um, what else? there was a oh Fright Night Two is getting a Blu-ray release, which is crazy. Oh, I heard about. I that. thought that yeah. would like never get a physical release, so that's that's crazy. Kind of exciting. Yeah, yeah we'll see. I haven't seen it in ages. Me so I'm neither. Excited to see wh- yeah. like how it holds up and yeah. what's going on with that movie. It'll be nice. It'll be nice to see it all cleaned up because you mm-hmm. know now I do have a 4K player. It came in this week. I'm very <gasps> Look excited. Look at you. I'm so excited. So I feel so snazzy. Bougie. You know? Yeah. I'm like, who do I think I am with this 4K player? <laughs> God, I feel like I should go play tennis with the gals and have <laughs> mimosas. So oh, Missy. <laughs> I just had a colonic. Oh, not again. I, you had one last week. What? <laughs> Oh, it's yeah. so hard to find good help these days. It is they, because they steal your 4K discs. They really do. <laughs> they really do. But yes, here we are. 1989. As we said during our misery episode, uh, slashers are kind of on their. I don't know if I did last legs, but they're on they're in weird territory. They're uh, not quite as fresh as they had been in the first part of the decade. They're starting to get pretty strange and. uh Still making money at the box office, but uh, they're not quite as much of the uh, pull for people as they had been. So nah. there's that. Uh, I think uh, the yuppies in peril are starting to come in here. And you get definitely get that here with this uh, family that's moving to the town. And, you know, uh, parts of this play like a, a dysfunctional family drama with like, you know, uh, he has issues with her parents and... Uh, the family unit is just slowly falling apart, which is what you see with a lot of these movies. Um, stuff like The Stepfather and Fatal Attraction. And um, then, of course, you get into the early 90s, and there's a ton of them that just start popping up. Um, Hand That Rocks the Cradle, Single White Female, Basic Instinct, all these erotic thrillers about, you know, yuppies coming to terms with, uh, I don't know, all the... my mouth death and yeah yeah and this outside force mm -hmm, this outside force coming in and fucking up everything which in this movie it's both the pet cemetery and judd i would say (laughs) um yeah it is judd but then by the end i'm kind of like lewis i think you're bringing this on yourself i mean you kind of need to stop when you're yeah again it's he makes his choices as we said you have to take some responsibility for your actions here but uh it was the trauma, Kevin. Okay. It was the trauma. Yeah. This was the highest grossing horror film of 1989. Um, oh. Yep. Made. Congrats. Uh, it made $90 million against an $11.5 million budget, which for the 80s. Hot damn. Pretty damn good there. That's like Avatar money. Yeah. <laughs> for that time Jesus. period. It, <laughs> it um, wasn't even in 3D. Mary Lambert was 
As we talked about during our Pet Cemetery 2 episode, Mary Lambert was mostly known for directing Madonna music videos. Um, mm-hmm. She had done Like a Prayer and Material Girl, these iconic visual music videos. Uh, she had also directed a film called Siesta, which starred Ellen Barkin, uh, Gabriel, Gabriel Byrne, and Jodie Foster. Um, do I need to revisit this movie? I don't remember anything about it, but I have never seen it, but it sounds I, lovely. I, it, I love all those. Like I have people. visuals of like scenes from this movie, but I, I couldn't tell you what it's about even. So hmm. she was actually friends with the Ramones. Um, that's how she got them to record a song for this movie. So that's fun. Um, wow. Using those industry collections here, uh, collections, like connections, can't talk, which uh, that song reached number four on the Billboard uh, Modern Rock Tracks list. So there you Shit. go. Oh, remember Crazy. when films had soundtracks with big hit songs? Oh, it was great. Mm. It was great. Originally, the rights were sold to George Romero in 1984. Uh, Stephen King had previously declined several other offers, but... Uh, Romero eventually got the rights, but then he had to pull out of the production as he was busy with Monkey Shines, another one I haven't seen in a long time. That's been a while for me, too. Yeah. Uh, But this executive named Lindsay Doran loved the finished script, and she advocated it for it to be made at Embassy Pictures and then at Paramount Pictures um, after she became vice president of production. She was told each time that there was no more demand for Stephen King films after the slew of adaptations from his novels released in the early 80s. But clearly, she knew that there was. So she got this thing made. (laughs) I mean, Um, I hope they gave her a humongous raise when they were Right? I mean, she knew what was going on here. Yeah, she knew. She knew the zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And this film only partially got made because there was this 1988 writers guild strike going on and uh paramount was just trying to get productions out essentially they were just trying to get stuff out and made uh because there was a possible shortage of new films for the 1989 schedule so stephen king's script is already ready to go so uh doran gave it the green light and they got it up and going king had the final say on who the director would be and he actually really liked Mary Lambert a lot. He was uh, the first choice. Um, she impressed him with her enthusiasm for his novels and her commitment to stay faithful to his source material, um, which sec- secured her the job. And it, it was fairly rare for women to be given such a big film like this at the time, too. So, I mean, oh God, that, yeah. that, that's, you know, good on her. And, uh, you know, thanks Stephen King for um, helping her get the job, too. So that's great. He, um, knew. he knew he, he knew he knew what she could do yeah uh the original cut that came out was judged to be too long uh so they had a bunch of footage removed um the original ending scene was more ambiguous it showed only the undead rachel entering the kitchen while lewis is playing solitaire leaving his fate uncertain lambert called this a more spooky and tragic ending uh but the studio decided it was too tame, um, which makes sense because all the slashers are still, you know, kicking at this point, and uh, they probably want something that has a little more edge to it. A more uh, punch. Yeah. yeah, I think that was basically how it ended in the book. T- yeah, too, though, like, if I remember right, he's yes, just, he's in the kitchen and she comes in and she's like, "Darling," and he's like, "Ah." Oh, mm-hmm. Originally, they wanted a pair of twins uh, to play Gage, but they got uh, Miko. Miko, I was Miko. I'm gonna go with Miko. Miko, yeah. Miko Hughes, yeah. Uh, they felt that he has a a natural talent at his young age. Um, 
So they got him in and here. And he did. He was yeah. like the go-to child act actor for right. pretty much like most of the decade right he, <laughs> he was, was in everything <laughs> right mary lambert got some backlash for casting fred gwynn because the studio thought that nobody would take him seriously because he had of course played herman munster for for years back in the 60s um mm, but shameful. uh I, yeah i mean he's i think terrific. he's he's maybe the best part of the movie i mean i i, I, I think, think so too this performance yeah. is great i mean it, it's I, wonderful i think few people would understand the sort of folksiness of it's like folksiness but it doesn't feel like a character either like it feels like a real person that like you would meet it would just be this really like you know off offbeat person that you would meet in maine and uh he, he straddles that line somehow he's got this great almost like andy griffith-esque yes. like personality and yes. he's just so like warm and likable immediately yeah, yeah. that you gra- gravitate towards him and there, there was a scene in the film as I was wa- watching it last night, where he starts crying, yeah, I was like, "Oh my god, this is really yeah. great work!" Like, I am, ab- I'm, a- I'm about to start crying. This is. I so thought great. so too. I thought so too. It's wonderful. Yeah, because he takes this, this this role that I, it's a hard role to play because the character makes so many stupid decisions, and I, yeah, to have to like do something with that, I think is very difficult. But like mm. you said, that scene where he realizes sort of oh shit, I was trying to help this family and it just led to like tragedy. And yeah. uh, I, you definitely feel for him there. And I think you probably would have felt for him even more if they, like you said, had kept the part about his wife absolutely um, dying. Yeah. And so I don't know why they decided not to use that, but. Uh, yeah, because I mean, it, it was this moment of kind of this almost like natural death, whereas every other death is so unnatural mm-hmm. and horrible and tragic. Yeah, and this one was the one like normal, like people are just going to die in life. And it's just yeah. a part of life kind of a death. Right. And yeah, I don't know why they decided to cut that. Like maybe yeah. they, they felt like they didn't have enough time to really build her up as well. And I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. This one was actually shot in Maine, not Canada. Ah, <laughs> Look what? at that. Yeah. That's why it's got that magic. Yeah, it does. Uh, Maine magic. Yeah. Stephen King himself was very involved in the filming process. Uh, he consulted with Mary Lambert quite a bit. I mean, he even has a role in the movie as well. Yeah, <laughs> get to so it makes sense. <laughs> great role, there. <laughs> silly, <Yeah>. great role. <laughs> I mean, there are stranger places for him to pop into. Than right, exactly. Cemetery, I suppose. Right. Uh, and uh, let's see, the film was released on April twenty first, nineteen eighty nine. Mixed response from critics. Um, 53% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is, I mean, around the what we usually cover anyway. So <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. It's not uh, bad. No. Um, and I don't know. I kind of have to wonder if if the fact that it had a, a woman director was a part of that at all, too. I, maybe not, but... Um, I just, I feel like at that time it was sort of like, you know, horror fatigue a bit. And, you know, yeah. back then critics never really, really seemed to like horror that much. So yeah. I feel like if the same film was to come out now, it would be a very different res- res- response yeah. because Could most be. critics tend to be a little bit kinder on horror these days, a little bit. Right. Maybe, but. Um. And there's just critics across the spectrum these days. You know, there are people who write for yeah. websites. There are, uh. At the time, it was mostly men critics in in the eighties. Yeah. Um, you know, mm-hmm. older men who had nothing better to do with their lives, basically. <laughs> um, yeah. Whereas now, you see horror 
I mean, you, you see people dedicated to just watching horror films these days who have, right. you know, our critics on like Rotten Tomatoes and stuff. So it, yeah. it's just a totally different landscape. Anybody can be a critic these days, which there's pros and cons yeah. to that. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I'd say overall, it's more of a pro versus the 80s when you really only had older men for the most part writing reviews and um, usually straight men. Uh, so there's that. Yeah. Variety called it an undead schluck dulled by a slasher film mentality. Um, okay. I don't really get a lot of slasher vibes from this, but if you say so. Not really. There's a scalpel and it's slashed around a few times. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Variety. Not exactly Jason Voorhees up in here. I swear, but there are some critics that every time like someone uses a knife as an instrument of death in any movie, they're like, oh, and I I loved it until it turned into a slasher film where they pulled out the knife. I'm like, oh, come on. Right. They said the same thing about, you know, Fatal Attraction. It's not a slasher movie. No, no. Calm down. Uh, the New York Times said um, it has some effectively ghoulish moments, but uh, it also doesn't work because it doesn't trust the audience to do any of the work, which. OK, I mean, it does spell things out a lot with some of this exposition, yeah, but I, I think I like the, the Pascal character, especially kind of. Yeah, sometimes true. Tells us true. what to think. Like, Lewis, you're doing the wrong thing. Go mm-hmm. back. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, yeah, we're already thinking that. Okay, you don't right. need s- someone on there being like, just so you guys know, the moral of this is to not bury your dead in a uh, ancient burial ground. Like, yeah, we get it. We get the point of the story. Right. Like, you exactly. Let us know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you brought up Gene Siskel. Uh. It doesn't have his whole review here. It only has one word, and that word is sickening. <laughs> oh, sickening Siskel, of course. He gave it a zero out of four stars. <laughs> zero? Oh, it's, oh, my God. Well, there's a ki- there's mean, kids in Jeopardy, so and there's kids one dying. One kid so. with a truck, and <laughs> Siskel has a panic attack. Oh, Siskel. God, to live this man's charmed life, truly. Good <laughs> Lord. To be so upset about a fucking horror film where a kid dies. <laughs> <laughs> like zero stars oh dear oh dear i'm gonna give out the address of that sickening mary lambert who would dare make a film like this stephen king i'm ashamed of you yeah um i don't see, see anything here for ebert but uh oh uh what's going on in this movie well we're in maine of course. of course and uh and there's this family named the creeds who have just moved into a, a house right next to the busiest highway for trucks in America, I guess, because they're <laughs> constantly just going back and forth. And uh, their youngest son, Gage, is almost hit by a car, but he's saved by the neighbor across the street named Judd, who's this older guy in his, like, 70s. And he just seems like he has seen some serious shit. And he's like, you got to be careful for all these trucks. They're always going around, you know? Right. And Lewis, the dad, is is like, yeah, we just moved in here. Where does that path down there go? And Judd's like, oh, I can show you. So he takes the whole family there, and it's this place called a pet cemetery where Mm. children over the decades, including Judd, have brought their pets to uh, have their final rest. And um, And it's spelled wrong because a kid wrote it. Because it's a kid. And they also have this other child named Ellie who is just this little fucking monster. (laughs) She just, she's always like a little whiny, like, daddy, mommy. Terrible. And you're like, why can't she get hit by the car? <laughs> um, and um, 
<laughs> the main question that is asked in the remake. Yes. And so um, then they see this little area further down there and they're like, what's that area? And Judge is like, oh, that, no one ever goes down there. Just don't worry about it. And and so Ellie's already kind of weird about death and she starts asking questions because she's got this cat named church and she's like is church gonna 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 die and both lewis and his wife rachel don't really know how to respond to this you know because how do you respond to that there's really no right way it seems to talk about death with a kid because it's just so uncomfortable and weird and even adults don't really understand it no and church is getting this operation to cut off his nuts and there's a slight (laughs) chance he might die but they don't want to tell her. Um, and there's also this maid that they have named Missy who doesn't seem to have any friends or life and has never known the touch of a man. <laughs> and she has these like stomach pains and that's really her only <laughs> characterization is that she feels pain in her stomach and she's like, right. it's fine. I'll make it through. And, um, and so Lewis is a doctor and on his first day at the new job, this student comes in named pascal who was hit by a car and like half his brain is exposed he's not gonna make it you know and he loses him on the table and he comes back to life and like grabs him and like spits blood in his face and stuff and he he warns lewis something about like ground being stony or something really weird and cryptic like that yeah and lewis is like what a shitty first day this is the beginning of a long storied friendship that will continue throughout the film it really is kind of like a buddy movie when you think about it like mm-hmm. that it's mm-hmm. like my friend pascal <laughs> like he just like shows up and gives advice occasionally and he's usually right i mean he's like don't fuck with this he and is. he does and uh yeah he's like pascal he's just... the f- friendly ghost he's mm-hmm. just pascal and... the friendly <laughs> ghost the friendliest ghost you know <laughs> and pascal shows up at night and is in Lewis's bedroom and is like, follow me. And they walk into the pet cemetery and he wakes up and he's like, what a weird dream. And then he opens up the sheet and his feet are covered in dirt. And he's like, what? It wasn't a dream. What's happening? What witchcraft is this? And so things are going okay. And Rachel decides to take the kids to her family in Chicago for Thanksgiving, because there's obviously some sort of beef between lewis and rachel's family so he's like i'll just stay home right and she's like are you sure that just doesn't seem right he's like yeah i'll be fine and he gets a call from judd that's like i think i found your daughter's cat over here and he's dead and he goes over and sure enough that cat is very very dead and he's like she's gonna lose her mind like what am i going to going to do I, i guess i'll just bury it in the morning and judd's like hey i got an idea and so Lewis follows Judd over past the regular pet cemetery and into this ancient Native American burial ground. Right. And Judd and, t- tells him to just dig this hole for the cat. And, and then. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they had to climb over a million branches, a fucking castle yeah. or something. It's, it's like, <laughs> yeah. you, you don't know, like all this shit they have to go through to get to this place. And yeah, uh, but it's like they an get obstacle there. course. They get there. They finally do. And, uh, and yeah, so he buries the cat and the cat comes back mm-hmm. and Lewis is all like, what 
the fuck? Like, uh, has anyone ever tried to bury a person there? And Judd's like, oh, no, of course not. Are you crazy? Why Why would they do that? It's like, right. hey, a little defensive, Judd. And like, Judd has had a dog in the past that he yes. buried there. And the dog came back mm. pretty fucked up. So you would think this would be a sign. Yeah. But, you know, maybe that- he thought it was just a one-off and that, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't happen again. It wouldn't be so mean another pet yeah it's like the the thought process behind this since he's gone through it you'd think he'd be like maybe i shouldn't tell him about this right but then he's like i also don't want ellie to know what pain is just yet i don't want her to know what loss is is like so -hmm. they do this thing together to make sure that she doesn't figure out what death is yet right and and so you know church does come back but he's like this little demonic piece of shit who who catches like who like he'll 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 catch a rat and like bring it into the bath time with mm-hmm. lewis and it's just it's not it's not cute he's and got he's, those he's just creepy glowing eyes too yeah like these yellow eyes and he's he's just not as agreeable as he you used to be but Rachel and the kids come home and everything seems okay. Like Ellie doesn't know, except she's, she's like church, you stink. Um, so yay. Now they won't have to do the job of telling their kid about death. So she'll <laughs> never have to know. Um, the end. but then Missy, the maid kills herself, I guess, because of the stomach pain. She just can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so she hangs herself and that's Ellie's first introduction into death. And then this brings back some memories for Rachel as well. About how when she was a kid, she used to have to take care of her older sis- sister Zelda, who had this severe case of spinal meningitis and was kind of shoved in, like, off into a side part of the house, like a dirty little secret. Mm-hmm. And one night, she accidentally choked, and Rachel didn't help her. She she didn't save her life because she was kind of happy that she was dead. Like it's it's a great scene, like this monologue. Which I, th- I I seem to remember was basically word for word of it in the book as well. It's right. basically the exact exact same. And it's just this great bit where she was like, I didn't know if I was crying or laughing. Like it's this whole like she's she's like clearly gone through some shit because no kid should ever have to be the sole caretaker to their sister who's clearly very, very sick. Right. It's fucked up. And Lewis is all like, well, now I hate your parents even more. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> so that's going to make for a fun Christmas. And um, things are going well again. And then the family has a picnic and they decide to fly a kite and they give it to Gage. And the wind carries it away and he goes off to get it and he wanders into the street and gets smashed by a truck. It's awful. It's awful. And you think that. I mean, if you haven't seen the movie before, that like maybe they're going to save him because, um, you know, they notice that he's going in the street and um, yeah. uh, um, the dad, Dale, uh, mm, what's his, yes, the, yes uh, runs off, runs after and you think he's going to get there, but then he trips on something and he's not able mm. to quite get in, in the street. Um, and it's just too late. It's a lot. And then you get all these flashes of baby pictures, which is a little much, but, you know, it, 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 it hits the point across. So there's that. <laughs> It's like, I just, I'll, I'll never forget that little red shoe that just flies. Like, it's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's done very tastefully. Yeah. And it's it, like, all you see is just that mangled, bloody red shoe. And like, mm-hmm. that's just, that's always stuck with me from, for my entire, entire life. Ever right. since I first saw, saw this, it's just a very strong, potent 
image. It's the scene that, yeah, I think sticks with oh. most people the most. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the family is not dealing with it well. Like, everyone's kind of a shell of their former selves. And Lewis is just, like, staying up late, like, looking at baby pictures of Gage. And Ellie's being neglected because he's so concerned with his own grief that he can't really tend to her. And Rachel's basically just, like, doped up in the bedroom just trying to sleep it off and pretend like it's not happening. Church is still being a little shit somewhere. Judd is is trying to help, but, Mm -hmm. you know, he can't do much. Um, And then at the funeral, it's just a disaster because Rachel's dad blames Lewis for Gage's death and there's a big fight and they end up toppling over the casket. And, like, you can see, like, a little bit of his corpse. It's just awful and it's just a big disaster. And... Now Lewis is so consumed with grief that he's having some serious thoughts about maybe returning to the place where he buried church and judge like, I know what you're thinking and here's why it's a bad idea. <laughs> and he, te- he tells him about this guy. He's like, picture it, Maine. Um, <laughs> there was this kid named Timmy Bateman who died in world war two and he was buried there by his father and Timmy came back, but he wasn't the same. And he just wander around town, freaking everybody out. Like they never say he killed anybody, but he was just terrorizing every, everybody. Mm-hmm. So Judd and his friends decided we got to put a stop to this. So they just, they lit his house on fire. And unfortunately, uh, Timmy's dad was still in, in there and they both, and they both died. And Judd's like, and that's why it's a bad idea. <laughs> and, so Lewis is like, well, maybe it is. And Rachel wants to go see her parents in Chicago. So she takes Ellie with her. Lewis stays b- behind. And what does this dumbass do? He goes and he digs up Gage's grave. Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And Ellie keeps having these nightmares about someone she calls Pax Cal, who says that Lewis is doing these bad things and he's trying to help him because he's grateful that he tried to save his life or something like that. And Rachel's all like, where have I heard that name before? And she finally puts two and two to get together and remembers that it was the guy that Lewis tried to save on his first day at the job. And so she calls up um, Judd and she's like, hey, have you heard from Lewis? And he's like, no. And she's like, well, I'm coming home. And he's like, you probably shouldn't. But she's on her way. And Lewis buries Gage. Even as Pascal is like, Lewis, don't do it. It's a bad idea. And he goes home covered in the dirt and the mud and just passes out in his bed. And Gage comes out of the grave and comes back home. And he steals Lewis's scalpel. And he goes over to Judd's across the street and lures him into the bedroom where he's hiding under the bed and slices into his Achilles tendon and then like, like slices his mouth and then like takes a big chunk out of his neck it's really nasty nasty Mm -hmm. scene nasty nasty and um and poor rachel has been having flight problems she can't get a good rental car the rental car has a flat tire she has to hitch a ride with a trucker and she it's like the uh, arrives home this the scenes from home alone uh, yeah catherine o'hara is like trying to get back to (laughs) chicago See, John Candy shows up and John Candy and it's just it's a <laughs> nice whole thing. Band and, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so they drop her off at the house and she's going to go inside but then she hears Zelda's voice 
coming from inside Judd's house. And she's like, what? Why she doesn't decide to just like piece the fuck out there is beyond me. Mm-hmm. But she goes back in and um, and she goes up to the bedroom and finds Zelda there, like hunched over in the corner. And she's all like, I knew I was going to find you. And when I did, I was going to break your back and you'll never get out of bed again. Mm-hmm. And then she, so she's like she tries to turn a, a, away. And when she turns back. Now it's Gage dressed up like Zelda was in this like family portrait of her. He's like got like a little top hat on and like a like a little cane. Yeah, I don't really, know why really, really they fucking random, Zelda but like that. It's, it's cute. Really weird. It's cute, but yeah, weird. <laughs> and he's all like, "Mommy," and she's like, "Gage," and she hugs him, and then she screams. So I guess he stabbed her, and uh oh, I guess she's dead now. Yeah, and um. Lewis wakes up and he sees a child's muddy footprints everywhere and he sees his scalpel is missing. He's like, well, what the fuck? And he gets a call from Rachel's dad wondering if she got in and he hangs up and he gets another call and it's Gage who, who's like, I played with Judd and I played with mommy and now I want to play with you. You. And you. <laughs> it's so cute and creepy at the same mm-hmm. time. It's it's a twofer mm-hmm. and um so he decides to load up these syringes with i guess it's like morphine i don't know like a lot of morphine yeah. and he walks ac- across the street with a steak for church so church is the first one to go and as church eats the steak he injects him with this morphine i guess and kills him and walks inside the house and for some reason as he walks into the house it looks it looks like the Little Mermaid just queefed everywhere. There's like seaweed and muck on the walls <laughs> and chairs. It's like it's very Jordy Verrill from Creep Show. I don't yeah. know why. And it's like it, it is some remodeling. Yeah, just, just you know some. It's uh, like yeah. it's very strange because then like he closes his eyes and it's all gone and just back to normal and it looks fine. It's like mm. well that that was strange. I guess I shouldn't have done shrooms before I went to sleep <laughs> last night. I don't know what that's about. And so he goes up the stairs and as he's up there, Rachel's corpse like flies out from the attic hanging from a rope and Gage is up there and he like leaps down from the attic and attacks him with a scalpel. Like he slices him like 50 times. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And Lewis is finally able to get to get Gage to come close so he, he can inject him in the neck with the more more morphine, which actually does work. And. He says, no it's fair, really no sad, fair. Though. The no fair, it's so sad. That poor kid. And, and like, he like stumbles backwards and it's like a, he looks like a little robot that's like short circuiting. Like he's mm-hmm. like banging into walls and shit. It's so sad. And so he lights the house on fire and takes Rachel's corpse and walks out. And poor Pascal is just like, Lewis, I'm not fucking kidding stay away from the burial ground you dumbass and what does he do he has had two two encounters with this fucked up place and he's still like oh maybe those didn't work because i waited too long to bury them but rachel's still fresh so maybe this time it'll turn out better so dumbass mcgee does this one more time and just plays cards in the kitchen until midnight when the door opens and rachel walks into the kitchen and she's only got one shoe on, like a hooker who's had a rough night. And she's just kind of like wobbling in. And Lewis is all like, she's back. My baby's back. And he gets up. And we see that her eyeball is missing. 
and there is pus leaking from the socket. And what does Sicko do? He shoves his tongue into her crusty ass mouth, and then <laughs> Rachel grabs a knife and stabs him. Mm. The end. And you know what? He had it coming. Okay. I, he made a series of bad disgusting. decisions, and uh, the yeah. consequences befell him. Yes. Ugh. I mean, you just cannot come back from the pus kissing. I mean, no. I, I don't want to kink, kink shame here. Right. But one has to draw the line somewhere, and I draw the line at pussy eye socket makeout sessions. That's disgusting. I mean, you got to draw, draw a line somewhere, right? And if that's yeah. going to be it, I think that's a good place to put your... I think it's a, str- it's a strong line. Right. right. Yeah. But yeah. I think the real victims of this movie are the grandparents who now have to raise that terrible little Ellie. Maybe this is their pay you back. They have to take care of Ellie. <laughs> For the rest Ellie. of their lives. <laughs> and wasn't there a story in Pet Cemetery 2 that someone tells where like... Ellie went crazy and chopped up her grandparents and ate oh, their yeah. brains or yeah, something. Yeah, that's right. That's I, I hope right. that's true. Everybody uh, dies and <laughs> gets what's coming. That's right. <laughs> that's the moral of the story. Everybody dies. You try yeah. to avoid it and you're still going to be doomed no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Tell Were they talking about, about doing death. some prequel series for Paramount Plus? It, it oh, came up a while ago. Wait. No, they already made it. It was with like Pam Greer was it, in it or something. Has it just not been released? I guess not. Mm. Yeah. I'm just looking to see if there's been any news on this. Not really. Like I see stories they're like set to release in 2022. I'm like, well, oh, guess well, that's that not happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, what the fuck? That's weird. crazy though. If you're gonna do a prequel, I'd like to see something that's like um, that Prey movie they did last year. Like maybe set. Um, just to show like how the native americans approached this evil force that was in this area too because they talk about it so much and um um it would just be interesting to see what they did with that but that's a heavy film it is it's heavy 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 it's heavy while being goofy and uh strikes a interesting balance oh yeah absolutely but it's worth revisiting if it's been a while folks it's uh Mm-hmm. over 30 years old at this point it's uh close to oh my God. 35 almost yeah 34 i think yeah yeah it's pet cemetery uh one yes. of the better Stephen king uh, objectively just in terms of you know there's a lot of bad ones i would so. agree <laughs> there's yeah. uh <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stinkeroos yeah yeah uh do you have an overlooked gem for us um yeah now jim is gonna be <laughs> a very um strong term for this one <laughs> But I just discovered this. It was about, it was last week or the week before. Uh, Vinegar Syndrome put out this box set of these sort of lost slashers. Mm. And there was one called Hanging Heart, mm. which I don't think has ever been released um, in the US. And it was, it's from like the mid late 80s. And the first half of this, I was like, I have discovered the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> the second half, not so much. But. <laughs> Watch it for the first half because it's it's about this this young male actor who is um doing this weird kind of experiment experimental play, and everybody involved in in the play, both male and f- female, seem like they want to fuck him, and he fucks pretty much everybody, mm-hmm. and he's like the sugar baby for this like rich lawyer guy who like wants to buy him cars and stuff. Anyway. There's a, a series of murders. Um, they kill one of the actresses on the show. And everyone starts to blame him because he was found with her after he discovered her corpse. 
and things just start getting really weird. And then it kind of turns into like a courtroom drama and, you know, those are so dull. And, um, and then it gets like really weird and, and it's hard to describe, but the first half of this was just camp delight. It's so fucking gay. I was shocked. Hmm. It's one of the gayest things I've ever seen in my life. Hmm. But once, once they get into the courtrooms, I suggest you turn it off and make your own ending instead. (laughs) Make your own kind of ending. That's right. Sometimes you need to do that with certain movies. Just pretend like it ended a different way. Yeah. Uh, Well, that's fun. It's always nice when you discover something that's kind of interesting that has been buried in the uh, dreads forever and, you know, people forget about and uh, maybe didn't know about in the first place. So that's fun. Yeah. Uh, Vinegar Syndrome has been great with that stuff. They've put Mm -hmm. out some really interesting little movies that I had never seen, some I had never even heard of. and Yeah. I've been very delighted. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're going to keep kicking along with these Stephen King adaptations for the last two weeks of the month here. And uh, we'll see what we choose. There's lots of options. As always, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at H-O-H-H podcast. Um, we are also on Instagram at homos and haunted hill. We are on letterboxd at H-O-H-H podcast. We are on um that's most of the places um you can leave us a review on itunes that would be lovely thank you to everybody who has please be kind if you do that uh i don't know anything else that we need to address that's all i got that's all i got um so yeah like i said we'll be back bury your kids in a pet cemetery i mean that's a pretty good message to take away from the movie right i mean uh, just don't do it i mean uh, you probably need pascal to really get that point across because oh, wait, all of yeah. you are very stupid clearly <laughs> we need the pascal pascal the friendly ghost here to yes. save you from yourself and tell uh, you every theme in the film yeah <laughs> it's like i would say that was like a studio note but i remember him from the book so i don't think that's really the case yeah i don't know <laughs> it was a choice it's, it's there yeah, it's a strong uh, choice it's a strong choice I, yeah maybe in the book it's more necessary because there's more going on and there's more exposition and blah 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 yeah. but uh yeah i don't know that he was really necessary for for this but uh oh well so. he's uh he's just so random you know it's like who who, who? It's so random this guy's not really connected to anybody it's just he was a guy who was dying and okay even as a kid i was like what why is he here yeah what is he doing with yeah. his life huh. or his afterlife yeah uh but he tried to save the day and uh, was he not did. successful. But <laughs> oh, well. that's a shame. <laughs> Poor Pascal. Pascal, you just can't fix stupid. You know, nope. you, you just can't. You just can't. That's the moral of the story. Yeah. When you do something stupid, don't just keep doing it over and over again. Oh my God, I know. Like, you should have learned after church. Good Lord. That yeah. cat was not well. No, no. And Judd should have learned after his fucking dog. So it's. it's... Yeah. And after he lit that kid and his dad on fire. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe we don't do that anymore learn from your mistakes yes that's a good theme to end on (laughs) all right well goodbye everybody goodbye